The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Well, Josiah, great worship this morning, guys. Praise team. You know, people ask me sometimes, Andy, which worship do I like? I like them all. You know, at Fielder, we do a 930 with the choir and orchestra. I love it. Go to contemporary service. I love it. I I, I find it hard within me ever to criticize worship. Amen. And uh, by the way, Andy, it's good to see you. Uh, this is three weeks in a row. You haven't led worship. Is it because of me? I don't know, man. Uh, uh, so uh, it's good to have you back, brother, and look forward to next week with the choir and orchestra again. And uh, open your Bibles, if you would, uh, to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to go today to one of my favorite places in all of Israel, the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most meaningful places in all of Israel. And I, I think there's two reasons why I love this text and I love this experience of Jesus in the garden. First of all, is we get to eavesdrop on a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. You know, it, it, it's a moment of intimacy. It is a moment when Jesus and, and, and the Heavenly Father are, are talking with one another, and, and we literally get to listen in as they're wrestling together over some things. And I think it's quite a unique thing in all of Scripture. But also, I, I love this passage because we get to watch Jesus interact in, in a time of traumatic circumstances. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and his betrayer is near the door. He's getting ready to be tried by a bunch of uh, religious leaders that shouldn't even be religious leaders and condemned to death. He's going to the cross. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be ridiculed. And, and at any moment, he could have called thousands of angels and stopped everything. And, and he knows he's going to that cross. And we get the opportunity to watch Jesus do what I call live in the middle of the press. That's what the word Gethsemane means. It means press. And we get to watch Jesus as he's in the middle in the throes of an incredible challenge in his life and a challenge that he's asking the Father to take away and do something different. And and we get to watch him face these circumstances and, and watch him go about that. And one of the reasons why I love it is because there's so many ways I can identify with that. Now, in no way, in no way could I ever say my life and circumstances compared to what Jesus was facing, but just the little bit of it that I've gotten. Uh, It's good for me to watch as Jesus struggles with this moment. And and I want you to know in my life, there's things I don't understand. There's things I say, God, why did it happen this way? And and it is good for me to watch Jesus interact in the press of life and learn some things about how to live in that way. And you could be here this morning and either you've been in an incredible press of life, circumstances, or you may even be there today. And you're wondering how to respond to God and what to do and and how to handle this. Well, today, I I hope and pray this text speaks to you as he speaks to me about how to live in the middle of the press. Mark chapter 14, verse 32, if we would. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And it says, uh, he said to them, my soul is very, very sorrowful, even to death. 
remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell down on the ground and prayed, Lord, if it's possible, can this hour pass? And listen to these words of Jesus. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Well, he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter and Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch an hour? Watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away. What did he do? One more time, he prayed that prayer. Lord, can this be taken away from me? But your will, not mine. Again, he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. They didn't know, know how to answer him. He came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping? Taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You say, the Garden of Gethsemane, where is it? What kind of place is it? You're going to see a picture on the screen of that garden place. If you were standing on the Mount of Olives, you would be looking down into the Kidron Valley. The city of David sits up on a mountain and it has two major valleys. On one side is the Kidron Valley. On the other side is the Valley of Gehenna. We get the word uh, Jesus talked about Hades. That valley is on the other side. But this is a view from the Mount of Olives. And what you see is it goes up towards the Temple Mount. Uh, and you see the wall of the Temple Mount there, there down in the middle of that valley is a garden, an olive garden. By the way, it is still there. Stretches for quite a distance down in that place. And we get to go to a place that we believe is that garden or possibly is that garden. At least it is nearby. And you go to the Garden of Gethsemane and, and what you have right there is a place that Jesus often went to. In fact, uh, when Judas came to betray him, he knew where to come because he knew that Jesus would go there. Now, what's going on in this garden? Well, just think of all the things that are happening around Jesus. His betrayer, Judas, is bargaining with the religious leaders and, and is going to that place to be with them. Jesus is in a battle right now, and, and, he, and he's fighting hand-to-hand combat with the evil one. And his three main lieutenants, what are they doing? <laughs> They're asleep. I mean, it is Jesus all by himself. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. And all this thing is happening. And you begin to look at this. And to be candid with you, I love the the feelings you get out of this text. Verse 33, 34, and 35. It says he began to speak. He was greatly distressed. Verse 34. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He fell on his ground, face on the ground. Do you feel the emotions? In fact, in the Greek language, uh, the words used right here are as intense as the language can give us. This is not talking about a little trouble. When it says greatly distressed, very sorrowful. In fact, one of the uh, translations uses a phrase, uh, a phrase that, that, that grabs me very often. He says he was swallowed up in grief. Now, I can tell you, I know what it's like to be swallowed up in grief. Do you? If you've got some circumstances in your life, in your family, in your work, in your life physically, and when it's going south, it doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the world. Your life gets swallowed up with it. You think about it when you go to bed. You think about it when you get up. You think about it every idle moment you have during the day. And you begin to look at all of this, and you begin to see that Jesus was experiencing that. Now, let me make this comment. Maybe the 
most important comment that I will make to you today. And that is the fact that I think Jesus is trying to tell us that grief is okay. That those times in our life, when there's something dramatic going on in our life, he doesn't expect us to say, oh, what will be, will be, and just go on and not feel it. Jesus is saying to us right here, there's some times in life that life swallows you up and captivates you and controls you. What we oftentimes do in the church that is so sad is we deny our grief. We think if we go around smiling in the midst of all this painful time that we'll make everyone think we're really godly or or we'll come into church. (laughs) And how many of you this morning, someone said, hey, how you doing? And you said, oh, great, how you doing? And you know that was a bold-faced lie. (laughs) In reality, you're not doing good. In reality, there's something in your soul. There's something in your life that is swallowing you up. Could be a rebellious child or grandchild. It could be something at work. Could be something going on with you physically. And what we oftentimes do in church is we're a bunch of liars. We show up and act like everything's okay. And Jesus said, it's okay to say, my life is in trouble right now. I I need something in my life greater than me. I've got a circumstance right now I can't handle anymore now. And Jesus looked into the eyes of these disciples in the middle of all this agony. They couldn't even stay with him. But I think he was trying to say to you and me, there are some times in life when the press begins to happen. The press comes upon our life that God wants to do some things that we can learn specifically in the middle of that press. The, The first thing, The first thing as I look at this text, listen to the statement, is the press can only be navigated by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time. When you and I are in the press, we got to figure out where to go, what to do, what to say. There's only one who can help us navigate that. If you think in your strength, you think in your power and gathering all your resources together, you can get through, you will be sadly mistaken and you'll be disappointed with God, disappointed with life. The reality is, is Jesus recognized in the middle of the press, he couldn't depend upon the disciples, but guess who he could depend upon? He could depend upon his heavenly father. He uses a word right here. He cries out and he says, Abba, verse number 36. He says, Abba, father, that is a word that is only used in the Gospels right here in this experience. The word Abba is not talking about God Almighty, God All-Powerful, God the Great Creator. That word Abba speaks about a personal relationship that's going on. It was specifically used between a father and a child. And then a child could cry out and literally translators use this to mean daddy. This is a time when a child is in need and cries out to the father. We begin to watch Jesus work his way through this. And what we begin to see is if our relationship with God is shallow, we're not going to make it in the press. If our relationship with God is just about what we have in church, we're not going to make it. If it's about a faith, it was something in the past or our parents' faith, that will never get us through. That'll never help us navigate it. Do you know what helps us navigate it? There's only one thing. Simply a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way in the world you and I are ever going to navigate things is to get to that place in life where our relationship with God has grown beyond church 
and has now gotten to the place where it's God in us, the father with the child. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. This is the word, I believe, similar to what Paul was saying in Philippians 3. When they said, what do you want out of your life? He said, I want one thing. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and fellowship with his suffering. That word know is a word that's speaking about more than head knowledge. It's talking about intimate knowledge. It's really talking about, in comparison, the physical relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, something intimate between them, something personal between them. And that intimate relationship becomes a picture of what we need in a relationship with God to help us navigate through this experience of being in the press. You see, today, if, if you do not know God as your Abba, Father, if you don't have something that is personal and dynamic and something that is life-changing, something that, that is working in your life in a daily basis, a voice that speaks to you often and leads you often and comforts you when only God can comfort you. You're not going to make it in the press. The press not only tells us about how personal that relationship is, it becomes the only pathway ever to get through. If you haven't learned, and I haven't learned, how to cry out to God, how to call out upon his name in time of trouble. If we do not know how to weep and wail and ask him to move in ways which he could never move, we'll never get it through the press. What we will do is just keep existing as a church member, going to Bible studies and gaining more knowledge, listening to music and sermons and it never touching our soul. Because the only way you get through the press, the only way you make it through the press navigate the press is a personal relationship with God. But then the second thing, you've got to know in the middle of the press that God wants to produce something in you. Listen to this statement that only the press can produce. Let me say that one more time to you. Listen carefully. You've got to recognize there's something God wants to do in the press that he can't do outside of the press. He wants to do something in our soul that is lasting, something that is life-changing and can only happen, I'm afraid, in the press. Yes, there's going to be good things when you hear a sermon and good things when you go to a Bible study and good things when you go to a prayer meeting. But it's in the press that God does something that is really special in the soul, in the life of a believer. Now, understand that. You have to understand the olive press. There's a picture we're going to put on the screen that, that we see when we go to Israel. This is literally at, at uh, Capernaum, uh, Jesus' boy time. Do you see where the water is? And you see the big stone? There's a hole in the stone. They would put, a, 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 in that stone, they'd put a, a, a rod through that. And they would put the olives down where that water is. They'd put them there in bags. And they would take them through that. Now, there's going to be another picture that will uh, give you an even better understanding of this. Because what they would do is in that press, they would add weights to it. And that, that press, the bigger the weight, the more impact it would be on the olives. And they would put it in that press. And certainly you could go pick an olive and let it ripen and get in the right place and eat the olive. But the best things that happen with the olive is when you take the olive to the press. Because in the olive press, they do it three times. The first time, they put a weight on there. And in that press, out comes some oil. And they use that oil for anointing. 
They would anoint kings. They would anoint leaders with that oil. Then they would add more weight to it because there's still more oil to come out of those olives. And, and they, would add, they would add that to it. That would be what they would use in their oil lamps. That oil was used for light. It was used in the menorah. It's a special oil that could only be used for light. And then they would put another way because that oil would be something they would use for medicinal purposes, something used for healing and cleansing. And each step of the press was to produce something that could only happen in the press, only happen as those olives are pressed down. What does that say to you and me? It says to you and me that God puts us in the press to do some things in us that can only happen in that place. First one is anointing. You see, the anointing oil was used to set someone apart for a special purpose. When you and I go through the press, the, going through the press is not the end. What the end is, is God setting us about a purpose and a direction. And what happens to each one of us is God uniquely takes us through experiences in life that are our personal press. And you know what he's doing with that? He's doing Romans eight twenty eight and 29. For God works all things together for those who love him, those for his good, for those who are the called according to his purpose. We usually stop at verse 28. Verse 29 is what the good that's talked about in verse 28. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The good that he wants to do is to produce with us in us the image of his son so we could be about God's purpose for our lives. And what the press does, is the press takes us to the unique place that God wants to take our lives to and use us for his glory. But then he wants it to be light. I know in my life, I studied this book, went to seminary, got degrees and all kinds of things. It wasn't until I got in the deep throes of the press one time in my life that this book came alive, became something new and special in my life. What's going on? It's in the press. God opens his word like never before. It's in the press that the words jump off the page. It's in the press that these words speak to us and give us faith and give us hope and give us direction. And you see, it's in the press that God brings light to our lives. It's also a place where he brings healing and cleansing to us. Can we all admit there are places in our life that need cleansing and healing? And I would like it that one of my sermons or someone else brings music that could get down to that place where there's great healing. But I would say to you, it is in the throes of the press of life that we begin to cry out and say, God, is there something amiss within my life? Is there a place in my soul that needs healing so I can go on and be the person you want me to be? But you've got to realize that only happens in the press of life. Let me tell one quick story. A guy in our church by the name of Jim Buffington. You don't know Jim Buffington. Jim Buffington grew up in San Antonio. Andy, his dad, was the worship leader. His mother played the organ. At the age of 10, his mother was brutally murdered, found in the back seat of a car, been abused and murdered. And they destroyed the family. But in the investigation, they discovered that his dad had hired a hitman to kill his mother. 
fact, the story came out later that the man was supposed to come kill all the three children as well. And as a young boy, he was told that his dad hired a hitman to kill his mother. Whoa. He and his brother and sister had to go live with some family members and, and to be raised by someone other than his mom and dad. He lost them both because his dad was given life in prison. Well, later on in life, when Jim began to have children, Bryce came along. Jim realized how bitter he was at his dad. How he'd never forgiven his dad. And he began to see it brought out in the life of his son. God spoke to his heart about needing to forgive. And so Jim Buffington made the journey down to the Huntsville, to the prison, to look his dad in the eye and say, Dad, I forgive you. When he went there, he discovered something that amazed him. His dad had actually come to know Christ in prison. And what did he do? He started a choir at Huntsville Prison. When his dad passed away, Jim went to the service, the only service they've ever allowed on the grounds of Huntsville. And he said the room was packed with 300 men. The end of the service, those 300 men walked by and shook his hand and said, your dad led me to Jesus. And I know he did horrible to you, but he blessed me. Jim just sat there and realized what he'd gone on and how he could experience his brother and sister couldn't go because they had never forgiven his dad, but he wanted to be right there. Well, Jim said, I've got to see what God wants to do. So we got involved in a ministry in our church called Bridges to Life. It's a ministry at the prison down in South Fort Worth, South Dallas. It is a ministry that helps prisoners. And usually 80% of the criminals go back to prison. If they go through that deal, 80% of them don't go back to prison. And Jim, who was a very, very successful man in business, got caught up in that ministry. Today, Jim Buffington is president and CEO of Bridges to Life that now is all over the United States, impacting people. Now, where did that come from? I wish I could tell you it came from one of my sermons. No, it came out of the press. It came out of the press. That God took him and anointed him for a purpose that he could have never gotten to. Never gotten to if he had not cooperated with God. God's using Jim Buffington in a mighty way. And it's come out of the pressure of the press. And that's what God wants to do in you. What's happening in your life is not an accident. It's the sovereign God of the creation wanting to be at work in you and prepare you for something you might never have thought you could do. Why? It's got to be your willingness to cooperate. I, I'm afraid that many people in the middle of the press don't cooperate. They get bitter. They get angry with God. Why did you let this happen to me? Instead of driving them to God, it drives them away from God. What we've got to do is what Jesus did. He embraced that cross. The Bible says to us very simply in the words of Jesus, you and I are to take up our cross and follow him. We're to drink the cup. They just called us to drink. But when we do that, we cooperate with a God that can transform our lives. That alone happen in the press. Last thing, I'll conclude. It says in this text, not only is this a place where they embraced what was going on, what was happening, but every one of them realized something because Jesus came back and said, now it's time to move forward. 
One of my favorite verses in this text is the last one. He came back to those disciples who had been asleep. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Now, let me make a statement to you that may make some of you uncomfortable in this room. Yes, there's some time when grief should happen. Yes, there is the process of grief. And I'd say to you, there are some things that we experience in life we will never get over, okay? I lost a 13-year-old son in 1986. I'm not over it yet, okay? I don't think I will be till I get to heaven. But let me say this. There comes a time in the middle of grief when we've got to wash our face, wipe our eyes, and say, okay, God, what's next? See, what Satan would like for us to do is to spend our lives wallowing around in that grief. We want everyone to know that pain that has been there. When in reality, there comes a moment when God says, okay, okay. Go embrace that cross. Go put your arms around it and move forward to be what I have called you to be. And for some of you this morning, it could be a major thing for you to decide to get up and go on. You, you maybe have lost a mate or a child and you think you're betraying them by going on. No, you're not. You, you may have been through something at work or something with your kids. You can let that drag you down forever. You've just got to pray about it, give it to the Lord and go on. Go on by faith. And know what God's going to do is do something only God can do. And he'll do it primarily through your prayers, not through your worry and grief. For some of you today, it's time. It's time. Stand up and get going for what God has called you to do. And allow God to do what only God can do in the middle of that process. Now, for some of you this morning, that personal relationship with God's never happened. You'll never get there until you commit your life to Christ. Surrender to him through repentance and faith. Through repentance and faith, let him be the Lord of your life and the Savior of your soul. That's your beginning point. You could be here today and if you've never done that, all this preaching and singing will never help you. Until Jesus becomes your Lord and your Savior. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. We want to invite you to come find the Savior who's been everywhere you could ever go. And wants to be your personal Savior today. But then some of you today, you may need to do something public to say it's time for me to go on. You may need to just come and pray at this altar. Maybe you're like me, I've got a knee replaced. I can't get on my knees like I used to, but I can stand right there. And you say, Lord, it's time. I'm going on. And I'm going to follow you and see what you have for my life. I'm here to pray with you. In a moment, I'm just going to pray. We're just going to sing briefly some verses of a song. As we do that, I want to invite you to come. Father, thank you, Lord, that you give us 
the experience of the garden. God, that place that we got to watch Jesus wrestle with life. Father, it frees us to understand your purpose and plan for our lives. It frees us to understand grief, but also, God, it calls us to embrace our cross and move forward. Oh, God, that person in this room that's not confident of eternity in a relationship with Jesus, you do the work in their soul. Bring them to faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.